to developments in Ukraine. Now, until the awful news about that hit on um, some sort of warehouse and about 40 prisoners of war have been killed, sort of a bit of a debate about where it came from, the most important news was the first shipment of Ukrainian grain to leave the Black Sea port since February and the fact that it was imminent. The Ukrainians hope they can offload some of the 20 million tonnes of grain that's built up in the country since the start of the war. And you might have heard some of that on um, uh, breakfast before as well, country breakfast. This movement on grain comes at the same time as the Ukrainian forces step up their campaign to regain control of Russian-controlled regions in the south, including the city of Kherson. Could we be watching a turning point in the conflict? Well, I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Mick Ryan. He's a strategist and recently retired Australian Army Major General. Good morning, Mick. Good morning. It's great to be with you again. Um, the Ukraine seems to be stepping up its um, campaign to retake Russian-controlled regions in the south. In fact, UK defence officials report that the Kherson is virtually cut off. That's a Russian-occupied city now, leaving thousands of Russian troops highly vulnerable. Now, do you agree with that interpretation? And if so, is that quite a, a significant turnaround? Well, it, it appears that is very close to being the case. Um, since the Ukrainians have received their HIMARS, it's allowed them to once again fight how they want to fight. And, and what are these HIMARS? The HIMARS are the um, long-range strike rockets that have been provided by the US military that allow them to reach deep behind enemy lines to hit command and control headquarters, uh, logistics hubs and these kind of things. And they've been using them to destroy bridges, but also destroy Russian logistics um, supply hubs. And what they've essentially achieved is a large-scale isolation of Western forces uh, that are to the west of the Dnipro River, which puts them in a pretty difficult position. Um, and if you can just sort of develop that a bit further, because there's some, both sides have got big decisions to make. Like this is really a work in progress now, isn't it? It's not, uh, there'd be people sort of strategizing all the time right now. This is still very early days in, in this, um, offensive that's really just in its initial phases from the Ukrainians. The Kherson region is the only place in Ukraine where the Russians have a presence on the west bank of the Dnipro River. The Ukrainians clearly want to push them back over the river. And in doing so, there's a, there'll be a couple of strategic outcomes for the Ukrainians. Firstly, they uh, get back a major centre, which was the first major centre that the Russians captured and have been trying to convert to a Russian uh, province for some time. But secondly, it really stops the Russian capacity to advance further to the west, particularly towards Odessa down the track. So it's an important part of the country. It's an important political objective, but it's also an important military objective for the Ukrainians. Yes, I've been reading in the um, the London Daily Telegraph, which has all those sort of uh, British military uh, interpreters for them, working for them. They do say that a Ukrainian victory in Kherson would be a powerful blow to Russia um, just in just in terms of the morale, for one thing. Also, 
Ukraine's frantically training new brigades with the help of the British Army uh, training program, but Russia is building a third army corps of volunteers at a training ground in Molino in the Nizhny Novgorod region, and that's likely to be ready around August. So, and their assessment is whoever gets more men into the fight first has a chance to regain the initiative. Again, would that be something you'd agree with? Um, I, I mean, I think that's an interesting interpretation. I, I don't think it's that simple, to be quite frank. Uh, the Brits are training 10,000 Ukrainian soldiers as a one-off. They haven't committed to that being an ongoing thing. So that's actually a very small force. That's maybe two or three brigades. Um, we would need a, a larger NATO effort to train many more uh, for it to, you know, really be quite decisive. On the Russian side of things, these volunteer brigades are small, they're ethnic groups, they're not being recruited from Russian main cities, um, and they really are not even second 11 in a cricket since they're third and fourth 11. So um, they're not going to be up to fully replacing all the Russian soldiers that are already in the theatre. The Ukrainians clearly have a manpower advantage here. They've got 700,000 soldiers under arms. The Russians have way less. They have much less capacity to replace them. The Ukrainians are slowly getting an advantage when it comes to manpower. You know, I think listeners will be stunned to hear that (laughs) because, I mean, that's been our impression of the Russian army as just the endless people uh, Mm. that they can throw in. This is really shifting, is it? Absolutely. The Russians um, significantly reduced the size of their army in the wake of the Cold War. Over the last decade, they've gone through a process to try and professionalise it. Clearly, by their behaviour in Ukraine, that has not worked. Uh, they've mm. performed abysmally in, in you, know, you know, torture and murder and these kind of things. But it's an, it's an army of only about 300, 350,000 people. Oh, I see. Um, it, with the losses they've already sustained and the people they have in theatre, they don't even have the capacity to reduce those that are already there. The Russians have big manpower problems and it's going to be increasingly a problem for them as this war goes on. Uh, now, there's a difference, I understand, between a counter-attack, which we'll hear about, and a, counter in, a counter-offensive, a full yes. counter-offensive. So what are we, are we... Are the Ukrainians capable of mounting a full offensive? Um, in short, yes, they are. Uh, but the difference between a counter-attack and a counter-offensive, as you state, are quite, di- quite significant. Counter-attack are local attacks um, undertaken by local commanders... Um, to make minor gains. A counter-offensive is a wide-scale, very coordinated um, campaign of lots and lots of attacks, both in the air, um, uh, on the ground, over a long period of time. That's what the Ukrainians have slowly been building up to and what we're seeing the very initial stages of at the moment in the South. Uh, And so keep a watch on that. Like I notice people are writing, people like Tom Friedman from the New York Times saying the Ukraine war is about to enter a dangerous new phase. Um, And he's sort of suggesting that Vladimir Putin is fighting a winter strategy versus NATO's summer strategy. I wonder what you think of that. Well, um, I don't think it's a dangerous phase. It's all been dangerous, to be quite frankly, especially if you're a Ukrainian civilian or a soldier. Um, but it certainly is a, a a shift in the Ukrainian approach. They're um, putting their focus on the South. The South is the more strategic theatre in the war. The Ukrainians must take it back to get their ports back, to get their agricultural and, and manufacturing areas back. But they also want to do it before the winter to 
not just give their own people a shot in the arm uh, morale-wise, but also say to the West, we are worth your ongoing support. We can win this fight. We can win the Russians. Please keep up your support, even though we know the cost of your energy and heating is going up. Mm. Look, there was this very important grain deal brokered by the Turks last week, which has paved the way for the Ukrainians to export grain via the Black Sea. Now, you see this concession from the Russians as really rather significant, don't you? Yeah, I think there's a lot we might read into this. It's more than just the Ukrainians and the Russians signing deals with the Turkish. Um, I think it's indicative that the Russians may have decided that sustaining a blockade in the Black Sea over the long term is more difficult than they anticipated and that with the Ukrainians advancing through the south, the main naval base at Sevastopol may indeed come under threat from the Ukrainians. That will make a blockade very difficult. So this is very much like Snake Island, the Russians being generous uh, when things are actually at their worst for the Russians. Yes. In fact, I have read that some of those those HIMARS system that you mentioned earlier, the HIMARS missile, and some um, anti-ship missiles, I think they're called harpoons from Denmark, uh, could are starting to really trouble the Russians in their own, uh, some of their own um, uh, ports, and they're moving, moving ships, their own ships around to get them out of the way of these missiles. No, they are. They've moved a significant proportion of the fleet that was based at Sevastopol further uh, to the east, to a, a large Russian port. Um, and I think, too, that the, the Russians are worried because what they're seeing is these Western precision munitions are better than their own. They're more precise. Um, they're, they have a greater impact on the Russian logistics system, which is, to be quite frank, is very archaic compared to those in NATO. So the Russians, I think, are starting to get quite worried by this flowing of Western arms, and that's why Putin really wants to wait out the West to try and stem this flow at some point from the winter onwards. See, those systems have a range of around 300 kilometres. Extraordinary. Uh, the Russians aren't in that sort of realm, aren't they? Well, it's defending against them, which is difficult. Um, these missiles uh, are not just... Uh, a fire and, and go straight to a target. They have very complex ways of evading defences, both physical and uh, electromagnetic. So these are very sophisticated, very accurate weapon systems that are very good at what they're designed to do, and that is to kill ships and kill large concentrations of troops and logistic supplies. And I mean, are you imagining that this grain, I mean, I, I hope it starts to flow. I don't think it actually has yet, has it? it, it, it it's imminent, but it hasn't quite. Um, it, it's, it's imminent and I think everyone's <laughs> holding their breath yes. for the first shipment to actually get through. I mean, uh, it remains to be seen whether the Russians will allow that to happen. They still have submarines and other ships in the Black Sea. But it's important if it does. Firstly, it starts clearing out the backlog of grain because the Ukrainians are starting to want to fill up those silos with the current harvest. Uh, secondly, it'll give the Ukrainians um, important export income. I mean, the Russians are making huge amounts of money from people buying their energy. The Ukrainians need to have the same opportunity with their grain and other exports. Let alone the, um, 
the countries dependent upon them, uh, you know, just so we don't have whole African countries blowing up in in, in the months to come. Uh, look, in your most recent piece for the ABC, you say wars end in two ways, total defeat or negotiations. And finally, the fact that the Ukrainians and Russians are still talking, albeit through Turkish and United Nations intermediaries, is a good sign. And of course, we have got Anthony Blinken, the US uh, Secretary of State, talking to Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister from the, uh, from the um, Russia. So uh, I just wonder what your sense is now. I know it's purely a judgment call of where we are. Well, uh, it, it's always difficult to predict things in war. I mean, it's, it's mm. a pretty perilous undertaking, actually. But, you know, the Ukrainian intention has been very clear. Their president has been clear. They're not going to concede territory for ceasefires. They will want to defeat the Russian army in the field. Uh, given uh, how they've fought so far and with ongoing Western support, I think they're quite capable of that. And once they've done that, then they'll negotiate. But I don't think the Ukrainians are going to do it before then. OK, Mick Ryan, thank you very much for joining us again. Thank you. Mick Ryan, uh, a retired uh, Australian Army Major General, and we'll be checking in with him, no doubt, before terribly long. Well, up next, some changes in our financial system. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.